Hello, my name is Chris Kelly, and you're listening to Shining a Diamond Light. Hello, and welcome to Shining a Diamond Light. I'm Molly Fry. I'm Tim Geit, and today we will be talking with Chris Kelly, a software engineer who helps scientists use the equipment at Diamond, as well as some that they bring in with them. The Generic Data Acquisition Program, or GDA for short, is used throughout Diamond to collect information during experiments. Chris and his team are now pushing the boundaries, working to create an autonomous beamline, the first of its kind in the world. So we've got a great insight into a part of Diamond which you might not think too much about, but which is absolutely vital for world-leading science. When did you first hear about Diamond? So I heard about Diamond when I was a PhD student. So when I was doing my PhD research, I did a lot of work at Soleil, the French synchrotron, and I heard about Diamond while I was working there. So you had to go to France to hear about the one in the UK. Oh yeah, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know Diamond existed at the time. So when I started my PhD, I did it in a different subject to what I'd done my masters in. So I wasn't familiar with X-rays or infrared synchrotron or anything like that. It was a completely new experience for me. So what did you do then do your PhD in that was different to your master's? So what's, how did that connect up? Uh, it didn't really. Uh, my master's was in radio astronomy. So uh, the tenuous link was that I did radio spectroscopy and interferometry. And that's I did infrared interferometry when I was doing my PhD. So it's a similar related technique, but completely different science. Yeah, instead of looking at the big scale of the universe, looking at very, very small scale of the universe. Yeah, I've, I've been gradually working my way up the energy range. And <laughs> so I started off in the radio and then did visible and infrared, and now I'm doing x-rays. So I'm, I'm running out of spectrum. Really. <laughs> Excellent. So how long have you been working here then? Uh, I've been working at Diamond since uh, March 2014. Started out as... Uh, senior support scientist on B22 so that was helping users set up experiments and plan experiments and helping them when they came to Diamond and that was a lot of building up equipment tearing it down and uh, helping them with chemicals and gases and building microscopes and all that sort of thing and I decided a few years ago that I wanted a new challenge I quite enjoyed the writing software aspect and controlling all of the various bits of kit that got brought in So I applied to develop GDA, and I got the job, and here I am. So what does GDA stand for, then, to someone who's never heard that acronym before? Uh, GDA stands for Generic Data Acquisition. So the idea is it's a generic acquisition software that can be used on any beamline and at any facility. So it's open source software. Anyone can use it. Uh, We've got two beamlines at the SRF that use it, B26 and B26A, I think and one beam line at the Advanced Photon Source in Chicago, which is going to start using it in Kakao. Oh, very cool. So it's not just Diamond. Anyone can use it. So when we're doing experiments at Diamond, you can't actually go into the experimental hutch because it would be dangerous. Yes. So all of these pieces of equipment you just described, they have to be controlled somehow remotely yes. through wires, something like this. And basically, we need some software to help do that. Yes, that's right. And that's where you come in. Yes, so there, there are a lot of beamlines like ISX where they have uh, network ports on the beamline specifically where you can plug and play bits of kit onto the beamline and together with GDA developers and the controls team, we 
make drivers for bits of equipment all the time. It's a whole list of supported devices that people bring in. So do visiting scientists often bring in their own extra bits then? Yes. Alongside their experiment? So I, I was one of the worst offenders uh, when, <laughs> when I was an external scientist. So we used to bring, because uh, I did magnetic materials research, we used to bring electromagnets and bolt them around microscripts. <laughs> and electromagnets tend to be quite big, heavy things, like 30, 40 kilos of iron. And being my scientists just don't like that when they've got a 40 kilogram magnet that they've never seen before hovering over their 200,000 pound spectrometer. <laughs> they can be quite nervous. So it could be anything. It could be electromagnets, could be voltage controlled cells, environmental cells full of chemicals and yeah, well, like you were talking about plug and play. So, yeah. you know, you, th- I'm, I'm thinking, all right, well, in, you know, everyday life, it might be something that you're plugging in with a USB cable on your laptop, like a webcam or a, I don't know, a computer game. You can tell I'm not a computer gamer. Um, but it's kind of working the same way here, except for big science. Yeah. It's, it's not quite as easy as plug and play. I mean, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be great in the future if that was the case. But uh, it's to create that illusion to the users of plug and play mm. is kind of what we're going for. So they say we want to bring an electromagnet, for example, and this is how we control it. You just turn the voltage up and down and you get current out. It's quite a simple thing conceptually to do. And then you go to the controls engineers and they say, this is what we want to do. They'll create a little package for it. We'll create a package that goes on top of that. And the users can plug it in and it should work. And that's what we like to try and be able to give them. So that's what it means we can spend more time actually doing the experiment and focusing on the science yeah. rather than being worried exactly. about, oh, we have this really cool new experiment that we want to do, but it's going to take us all day, week, month to actually just even be able to turn it on, basically. Exactly. So the horror story I always tell from my PhD is, back to the electromagnet example, I have to change the field strength of the magnet every 127 seconds manually oh my god for about 11 days and that was pretty hard pretty hardcore and if i had a bit of software that would just operate it i could have been discussing what i was doing with the scientists there i could have been writing my thesis yeah that's my phd supervisor was keeping advising me i should be doing (laughs) and it would have just saved me a lot of stress and a lot of time and being able to be part of a team of people that builds that for other people is really rewarding I find because it would have saved me just so much stress yeah instead of every two and a half minutes you know yeah Uh, the the automation that it brings really really helps yeah Yeah. so just on that my understanding is that we were kind of talking about this earlier that GDA is used on all the beam lines at Diamond but that's not necessarily the same as other facilities and my understanding is that in some places you've got maybe each beam line will be completely different and the software that works on one will not work on another beam line. And maybe it was developed by one team leader or technician or scientist over a 10 or 15 year period and they know how it works, but nobody else knows how it works. Yes. So there are other facilities that don't have anything even remotely like the level of software support that Diamond offers the beam lines. So we have an entire data analysis group, for example, and other facilities have like maybe a small team or someone associated with each beamline to do the uh, analysis support. And data acquisition, I think, 
were one of the leaders for that, like having a unified acquisition effort on top of the control system effort and on top of the low-level computing effort. We've got a really, really good infrastructure for developing things. And well, now I think we're really lucky to have that that uh, that the higher apps at Diamond see software as a big priority, and that it's only going to become more of a priority because we get more data and things need to happen quicker, and we need to do more science quicker and more efficiently. And the only way to achieve that is better software. Yeah, and that's something we hear a lot actually: more data, more speed, more automation. It sounds like these are some of the big future challenges for for your team yeah so it's it's a grand ambition and it's an ambition we should be working towards and it will be difficult but it's possible and the only way to do it is to work together so hopefully now you have a better understanding of gda and why it is so important to diamond yes and also how our different engineering and science teams have to work together to make life easier for our users Speaking of making things easier, we talked to Chris about an effort to create a beamline which can work on its own without any supervision. I have a project at the moment where we are trying to provide unattended data collection, so there's no human interaction with the beamline at all. In that case, they plan their experiment out completely in advance, and then at some time, the beamline staff pass over control of the beamline to a web service and the mm. web service just performs experiments of its own accord according to some ranking of what it's going to do in what order and the idea there is that the it cuts out a lot of time wastage yeah and particularly for mx our, our macromolecular crystallography beamlines that are doing things like looking into the structure of viruses or looking into vaccine development when you're thinking real world to be able to speed up that kind of research is is pretty important Yes. So they're gone are the days where you'd spend one bean time looking for one crystal structure. Yeah. Now you're firing hundreds, thousands. I think IO41 did a hundred thousand crystals in the last run or something. Yeah. yeah. They they want more. They they want to, they want to get even more data, even more crystals through. Yeah. So that's that's the challenge that's coming up for us is how we're gonna get the equipment to move that quickly for them. So that unattended beamlight you were talking about, we're talking about people being able to send in samples from pretty much anywhere in the world and a robot basically picks them out of a special freezer and puts it in front of our x-ray and then it puts it back. And then the user later can just go on their computer, wherever they happen to be in the world, whatever time zone, and say, oh, this was a good one, this was a bad one, do some more on the good one, throw away the bad one, something like this, and yep, everything exactly gets right. taken care of. So that's a, quite a complicated project, and GDA is one part of that. Can you give us an idea of what other teams, like who else is involved in making something like that happen? This one's a whole diamond-wide uh, organised project. So you have the database people. So the web service decides what experiments are performed based on what's in the database. It has to interact with the user office database, to find out what experiments are live, who's got permission to write what data into what folder. The controls team have to be involved. We need electrical, mechanical technicians to make all this stuff work. Scientific computing to make sure all the computers and the clusters are running. Scientific software to make sure all the processing pipelines are running. 
project managers have got to organise all of this and upper management, spread pretty much everyone. Diamond is involved in this one way or another. Does that exist anywhere else in the world at the moment? No. So this will be a world first when we get it working. Uh, having a beamline completely run itself, yeah. That's pretty cool. That is pretty amazing. Yeah. So did you always want to do this? Was this what you thought when you were a little kid, like, I'm going to grow up and do, you know, make this happen? No, uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> but uh, my eyesight is terrible. And I'm, I'm not tall enough. And various other reasons. But uh, I always liked astronomy, obviously. And I did astronomy and astrophysics as an undergraduate. And I was fun, but I was getting to the point where I quite enjoyed uh, solid-state physics a lot more than I was enjoying the astronomy. The astronomy was more... It was it was okay, but it was a lot of nuclear physics and a lot of particle physics, and I wasn't as interested in that. I was as interested in magnetic materials and how materials fit together and how their properties changed. I found all that stuff really interesting, so that's why I did my PhD in that instead. And then, obviously, I came to Diamond and did infrared spectroscopy for a bit and then became a software engineer. And that was mostly because I fancied a new challenge. Mm. I quite like building stuff, building new things, and designing new things. I saw this as a really good opportunity to do that. Nice. Yeah, so throughout your PhD, where you mentioned earlier, you were in Soleil. Places Soleil, like yeah. that. So where is that the only place you got to go to do research or... Um, Astronomy no, no. takes place all over the world in very exotic locations now. So yeah, the, the if I'd done an astronomy PhD, I would have been living the dream because you get to go <laughs> to like Hawaii and mountains in Chile and the outback in Australia and all these sorts of places. Magnetic materials, not so much, but I did get to go to some cool places. I got to go to uh, conferences in Denver and Phoenix. It's quite nice. Went to Japan for a bit. Uh, went to the Netherlands. Nice. Oh, it's really nice. There's a big solid state community in the Netherlands. France, obviously, Soleil. Went to Ireland once. I got to go about a bit. So it wasn't just sat in the lab all the time. It was quite interesting. Met people from all over the world. Yeah, so a lot of the science related to diamond and other topics, it's not the kind of science that you can just sit in a room and do on a whiteboard or kind of on your own. Right, it requires a lot of help and yeah. talking to people who try different things. Like you mentioned the experiments earlier. We've been talking to some people who come here and do experiments and they say there's things which you would never know from reading papers, but maybe they did a little thing here or a little thing there that just made it work properly. And so you have to basically go and see people in their lab, talk to them at conferences to get that information. Yeah. And even when we were planning experiments, sometimes we would go and visit the academics the, so we have people come from Australia we didn't get to visit them that was, <laughs> that was sad so our, our UK users and close European users we go out and see them sometimes Which get is, a feel for what yeah. they do and that's pretty exciting you know people don't necessarily think oh travel science they go together travel engineering go together but actually the collaborative aspect really brings that to life exactly we can't help them really if we don't know what they're doing and the only way to figure out what they're doing is to go and speak to them. Yeah. Or have them come here and show us. Yeah. So collaboration's a big part of it. Just get, getting to know the users. Yeah, and a big benefit of, of facilities like this is it brings people together. Exactly. And it's good for us because we get to learn new things. 
one of the best things about working at Donald when I was working on the beam one is that every week you get to do something new. So one week I'd be doing solid state stuff. There'd be someone trying to work out the band structure of some material. Then the next week it'd be someone with a, a virus in a cell or something trying to figure out whether this drug was effective. And then next week there'd be public heritage. Someone would come in with some paint from an old painting, try to figure out what was in the paint so they can better restore paintings. And every week it was different. Yeah, It was really nice to be part of that. And... Finally, like, what's something that you think people should know about the work that you do and the GDA team, like the work that they do, that maybe somebody just looking at Diamond from the outside wouldn't know? Uh, one thing we do a lot of is uh, firefighting. So, uh, <laughs> that's, no, that's an engineering term. Not... Yes, not, not actual fighting fires. No, we leave that to the professionals. But... Uh, <laughs> The, the, there's a saying that all software is bad and one thing that we do a lot of is helping beamlines just get things to work so very rarely does anything that's in any way complicated work first time so ourselves and the controls engineers were working with the beamline staff on a sort of daily basis really just keeping all the analysis and uh, data analysis and data acquisition, software running, and basically looking after everything. But users should never see that. <laughs> everything should just work when the users come. So thanks again to Chris for talking to us. It was a great look behind the scenes of the science you usually see. There are lots of acronyms in science, but if you come to Diamond, remember GDA. We hope you enjoyed listening, and if you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please send those through to podcast at diamond.ac.uk. And make sure to follow Diamond Light Source on Facebook and Twitter for more stories like this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.